0: I hear that you like to sing, and karaoke is your thing. What? No, that has to be some joke, really. Who said that? <laughs> I need to know something. Oh, I can't possibly reveal my sources, Kelly. <laughs> okay, okay. I have to say that in some parties I have done it, but its I wouldn't say singing is my thing. I remember um, that was the first time I met Michelle Mouton as well. Uh, she was one of the judges and we were having a lunch break on one of the driving days and. Uh, we walked into the lunchroom and, and she walked up to me and I was so starstruck I just for the first moment I didn't do anything, <laughs> just stood there, so much so that then she introduced herself to me and told me her name <laughs> and then I felt like a real an idiot because I was like oh no now she thinks I don't, don't know who she is and oh <laughs> so then I was trying to backtrack and like yeah I know, I know who you are, very nice to meet you. and. Um, Yeah, I still remember that like it was yesterday. Welcome to WRC Backstories, our exclusive World Rally Championship podcast presented by Bex Williams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the WRC Backstories podcast. Hope you are all doing well wherever you are around the world right now. For this episode, we have looked outside of our competing crews, although today's guest has been behind the notes and behind the steering wheel in his time. Today, we look to M Sport Ford and team principal Richard Milliner. Definitely a story to inspire, from working in part sales to confidently fronting a WRC team. Quite a career climb. Rich is a well-known face for our global TV coverage and his knowledge and passion for the sport knows no bounds. But how did he get to where he is today? It's time to find out. So we're going to head out now to Cumbria on what is the hottest day of the year in the UK? Well, certainly here in Wales it is. We're going to cross out to M Sport, Dovenby Hall to catch up with Rich Milliner. We've given him the big build-up. Morning to you, Rich. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, Are you in your shorts and T-shirt and a little parasol outside M Sport right now or not?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I'm obviously outside in my deck chair, (laughs) tipping away, just watching the world go by. (laughs)
0: Uh, It's a busy time for you at the moment, isn't it? You know, rallies seem to be coming thick and fast right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had that break in uh, February and March, which which we, we put in... Purposefully, when when you know last year when we were designing the calendar, COVID was still a, a, a big risk. So you know we did we took the opportunity to have a break there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's meant the remainder of the season is is um, it's really challenging to be honest. You know I, I, we've been we're daily uh, looking at how we're going to do each rebuild. You know we have one chassis per driver, uh, and I don't think we have one rebuild for the rest of the season that goes into double figures uh, in terms of days. Yeah. so uh it's definitely one of the most challenging years uh for a while in terms of logistics and and getting things ready and uh, you know there's a little bit more work that goes into these cars the way they're built now with the space frame and the carbon bodies and and we're still learning um and you know still getting parts and uh and uh, all the other issues that are going on in in the world at the moment that are causing delays to us as well so it's been very very tricky but um you know cars were packed up on uh uh, what night was it? Wednesday, Tuesday night, to go out to the airport. Um, so I even got my hands dirty for a few hours to help the lads put them on the old air freight pallets and everything.
0: Oh, well done. Well, I know you like to get your hands dirty. You don't exactly shirk away from from hard work, but we'll, we'll get to all of that, because the entire purpose of these podcasts, Rich, is to talk about the present, but also talk about the past. We're going to be oh deep, you know, delving deep into the murky past of Rich Milliner uh, and getting out all the skeletons from the closet. <laughs> Are you ready to share? Now, <laughs> Are you ready to share your life I'm story? Ready, yeah, I'm,
1: ready. I'm Excellent.
0: ready. Excellent. So before we get going, always at the top. Well, actually, with Sebastian Loeb I forgot to do this at the top of the podcast we had to put it at the end but um that's because I think I was a bit starstruck at the time when he popped up on his little video call in a big wingback chair looking like a Bond villain I totally lost sense of who I was and what I was talking about um <laughs> so let's let's kick off by getting you to describe yourself your character in three words oh me
1: uh uh uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a common it's, response don't worry it's not
1: going well is it three words um
0: they don't have to be linked to each other they can be completely no, separate
1: le- uh laid back yeah um uh, determined
0: mm-hmm.
1: and passionate <laughs>
0: Yeah, passionate is one that that crops up a lot. And I think, yeah, you have to be passionate about what you're doing in any kind of role in the world. But I think especially in, in, in rallying, <laughs> you have to be passionate about it. And, and your job requires quite a bit of passion and hard work, long hours, striving against sometimes the impossible to make things happen. And you need to have a, a, a huge passion for it. So where does the whole passion for... The motorsport in general come from are we looking back to like the early days of rich growing up what was yeah, that i think like?
1: i've always i've always kind of been around cars um and mainly through through my dad really to be honest um but also my uncle um well a couple of my uncles are into cars and, and things so when i was growing up it was always saw them and my dad had a, a tribe stag that he was that he kind of bought the same time i was born so um his intention was to rebuild that as I was growing up, and and, and I helped him a little bit on that. Um, I remember inscribing on a brand-new uh, wing he fitted to it that Rich was here in the garage, which pleased him. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> had a lot of fun with cars over the years. And then Dad used to watch a lot of motorsport, so, you know, Formula One was on and, and WRC or Rallying and used to be on, obviously, BBC on, on mainline TV as well, so I would watch yeah. that. Um, and dad, I think dad had an interest in rallying as well in, in the fact that he was doing road rallies so navigational type rallies in the UK um, over uh, night night rallies, um, which, you know, he would have the pictures of, of the cars he'd done with that. And he also used to have, you know, his personal cars were always the sporty versions. Um, so I think I picked it up along, along that way. I can't quite tell you how or why rallying became kind of special to me. Uh, it did. It's the one I seem to pick up on. Um, and I remember the, the first time I really remember watching it all the time, every time was kind of uh, like when the Channel 4 coverage was on. I don't know how many years ago that was, 20 now, years it, ago probably. Yeah, with, with, it
0: is 20 years ago. It was 2002, two, three, I think, that Channel 4 coverage started.
1: Yeah, it was... Um, Robbie Head and John Desper and things and you know it used to be on every day um, from a rally and, and I think that's where I really started getting into it and and watching it at the, at the top level um, and then I persuaded my dad to, to take me to Rally GB one year and um and that's kind of really where I got the proper bug for it um, and, and then from there we started competing with my dad to begin with and then and then as I went to university, competed, you know, with my on my own a little bit more with with new people that I'd met, and it kind of all um, sprung from there really. But yeah, cars, tractors, trucks—I was always really into, into anything large machinery-wise. So I've always just been a bit of a typical boy, I guess, in terms of that side of things. So I guess it all kind of came together in one, and rallying's into one I ended up choosing. That I wanted to. To, well that, that was the best sport for me to watch and yeah. now I'm lucky enough to do it as a job as well.
0: Now I believe when you were younger you had a, a go-kart, so was it? Yeah, yeah, that's some,
1: that's some good <laughs> research, are you speaking to my mum or something?
0: Actually I have been speaking to your mum, yeah, she's, uh, she's given me some golden stories which we're going to oh, pop God. in <laughs> throughout this podcast. But yes, pedal go-kart, few handbrakes around the garden I believe when you were younger. So. Yeah, I certainly remember that I
1: remember races with uh with friends or I don't think my brother was really into cars but I made him kind of we used to push each other around the house that we had as fast as we possibly could and so you could get the fastest times and then I think that probably turned to handbrake turns which I would still do now in cars just to be a bit of a typical young boy when you're in a car so I think I started learning handbrake turns from a young age really
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good I'm place to learn. i still better at them. <laughs> I've tried I've tried it three times and it's not ended well each time I've tried to do. Hand, but this is in a in a proper car, not in a cart <laughs> or anything. And yeah, it's, it's always been a bit of a mess. So I think I might retire from even trying to do a handbrake turn again. Um, growing up, so you know, in school, you say you you were kind of you know typical boy into all the machinery, cars, you know anything I suppose mechanical. What was what was school like for you? Because you know, I I've known you now for what fifteen years, maybe, and you know, it pains me to say it, but you're a pretty intelligent guy. Um, I, very I, kind I, of you. I can imagine. I can imagine you were pretty good in school.
1: Uh, I wasn't a rule breaker, that's for sure. I think I got detention a couple of times in my life, but that was about it, really. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It's kind of, I guess I've been lucky that I've been brought up in a way to try and do your best and and um, you know concentrate and work work hard enough at school to, to see if it helps in the future. And at the time, it's the last thing you want to be listening to when people are telling you that. But you know, mum and dad were always very um, you know, they're, they're always looking out for the best for me and my brother. So I've been very lucky in that respect and um, and to help us get to where we are now. Um, but I, honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. That I think that was the biggest problem I had at school and and through university um you know I remember going home from from university and on the first year and wondering if it was even what I wanted to do did I wanted to change direction did it because I'd done a lot of farming and stuff and that was still something I was really passionate about but knew that maybe it wasn't going to be a career that could help me you know really go too far because um my direct family doesn't own any kind of farm so that's very hard to get into um but then at the same time motorsports seemed very hard to get into and it wasn't really an option so you know I just did my best during those times and um yeah just kind of did what interested me which at the time was kind of graphic design IT uh anything but maths I'm still useless at maths which many people tell me at work um but uh, you know i keep too, trying mate. me too yeah, me too I keep trying uh, you do use it more than you think, more than you joke about when you're at school, but uh, it's, uh, that's something I struggled with and unfortunately for me, my dad is an absolute maths master, so he made it look very easy and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it was a great, it was a great time and I was down in Bristol and I spent a lot of time obviously with my family then in Bristol and in, in Devon as well, so um had a really nice kind of time during school but it's a very long time ago now still seems like it's not that long ago but it genuinely is a very long time ago.
0: Talk to me about the farming because you know I've always known that you've had a massive interest in tractors whenever we've happened to see one on an event or, or something you've you've always spurted out all the information about said tractor and so it was your your auntie and your uncle's farm that you were heading to then in, in Devon and that's where the farming stuff comes from is that where the love comes from?
1: yeah so it's my it's my mum's sister's uh husband's farm uh, and it's in north devon place called uh, morto which is just outside of a place called woolacombe which is a really really nice area of uh of devon looks across the water to to where you are pretty much mm-hmm. um, and uh yeah i remember going down there i think mum and dad would probably want rid of me at some point in a school holiday so they suggested that maybe I could go down there and help out for a few days and see if it was something I enjoyed. Um, <clears throat> and I went down in, in the Easter holidays uh, when the landing was on for a few days. And um, and it kind of grew from there. And it went from two or three days one year to probably a week the following year to the point where it was going that every single holiday. I would try and go down there for as long as possible and spend four or five weeks of the summer down there as well, only coming back to go on holiday with my parents who then, I think wanted me back again after I deserted them after their little attempt to get rid of me. Um, and yeah, I just went on and on really. And, and I spent, I just, I just love the lifestyle. I still do. It's still one of the things that I'd love to go back to at some point in life. Um, you know, just being outdoor and gained a lot of practical knowledge from, from working down there and how to work on your own, how to get things done and problem solve and, and just general kind of mechanics and, and how to bodge stuff which works well in rallying sometimes <laughs> um, so you know it, it was just such a yeah I just really really loved being out in the, out, in the outdoors and, and doing that kind of work as well I think I got a lot of pride from you know kind of working the land and all the the kind of things that go with that and you know felt like you were doing something that was really helpful to to the uh, country and things like yeah. that you know it's a, bit, it's a bit cliche-ish but you know it's just something I really enjoyed and being out there and then yeah tractors and driving tractors I think I I just enjoy driving any anyway just love driving whatever it might be but yeah um, tractors and and machinery and that side of things is something for some reason it's really something I really enjoy doing so Um,
0: aside from the mechanical and and the love of the tractors and everything you know how hands-on were you with the animals
1: oh fairly yeah I did a lot of lambing and uh, I've done most things you can you can uh, you need to do with uh, in terms of sheep and cows uh, you know lambing sheep and resuscitating lambs and feeding lambs and you know fe- uh, moving them around herding them up with sheep dogs and you name it i've given it a go really so um yeah it's something that i really yeah i just really enjoyed the whole the whole side of it uh, the yeah. the a lot of people that are into farming kind of either prefer. the the agricultural tractor side of things or they prefer prefer the livestock side of things. And people often ask me, uh, you know, would you rather do livestock or, or kind of um, the the machinery side? Um, Personally, it's probably the machinery side, but I think the livestock thing was a nice thing to do as well to break it up. You wouldn't want to drive tractors every day, I don't think. Um, But it was, yeah, it's just a really fond memory I have. And I still go down there as much as I possibly can, which unfortunately isn't very often now. Um, But, you know, I still, it's still something that's really important to me and something that I want, I want my children to, to be involved in and to to see because I think a lot of the good people that come through M Sport of uh, the really good mechanics and some people like that and the ones that you see that have got really good hands-on experience often have an agricultural background and I think it's <laughs> one of these things because it's just a bit of a can do attitude and yeah and that kind of thing works very well within rally but I think it works on a wider perspective than that as well in terms of just preparing yourself for kind of life you know you just learn how to get on with things and and deal with it and just and just do it and I think that's a really key skill to to have have learned over the years I've been very lucky to be involved in that and it's it's a memory a part of my life that's been really really special.
0: So if you're interviewing someone if they have agricultural experience on their CV then they've got like an extra bonus point.
1: I'll definitely remain in the in the interview pile, yeah. There's a little <laughs> tip for you there.
0: <laughs> there we go. See some insider knowledge here. Um, <laughs> I just want to talk a, a little bit more just about school and you kind of, you know, heading away from school, heading to university, you said you had no idea what you wanted to do. And I think probably about 90% of the people who listen to this will completely agree with you. You know, in your teenage years, everyone, I think, struggles to know exactly what they want to do did you walk away with lots of GCSEs under your belt kind of ready for university did did you know what course you wanted to do in university
1: yeah I mean I kind of had uh like I said earlier I had two kind of interests one was sport You know, at the time I wasn't particularly good at any sport I just liked you know just like sport in general mm. um and uh the other was kind of graphic design and um stuff like that which I still really enjoy and you know the more that the, the world's changed now and it's so accessible to you in terms of you know photography or drones or or stuff on computers or designing things you know you do so much now so back then it was very it was very rudimentary rudimental but um you know I still had an interest in how things looked and making things look look good and look fresh and new so it was either doing something in graphics or and that's why I get so involved in liveries and love the liveries because I just that's something that interests me but it was either graphics or or sport really they were the two paths I wanted to choose yeah um and ended up uh, deciding to apply for sports science um and you know I actually ended up not getting the grades I needed to get into my first choice at the time which was Loughborough um I think I was one mark away or something crazy from getting the one I needed um but ended up taking a gap year um and actually went back to the farm for a year and had to think about things and decided to carry on and still go through with university and went to Exeter in the end. But yeah, like you say, it's so difficult when you're that age to kind of mm. you feel like you're being pressured into deciding something you're gonna do for the rest of your life, which is not the case when you grow up and you realise. But at the time, you know, like this is three years of my life. Do I do I need to go? What what I what about something else? But when you look back now, it's the best thing you can do, I think, is going there just to develop as a person as well. Um not necessarily using the the course you do. You know, a lot of people, if you go to, to a course like become a lawyer or something, and at the end of the day you're probably gonna become a lawyer out the other side of it. But the, the route I chose was quite open in some ways. So it gave me a lot of opportunities at the other end. Mm. Um and yeah, I, I don't use my degree day to day, but I do use some of the skills and some of the people I met during university. I still keep in contact with today and they've helped me get to where I am. So I think there's a lot of elements of it that you'd never you'd never change or swap because they've helped me to, to get to the position I'm in today.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with with that statement. I'm using elements of of my degree and my degree was kind of vague as well in that it was kind of media orientated and journalism photography, learning how to make films because I wanted to be Steven Spielberg and I use bits and pieces of it now, but I think, yeah, it's, it's different elements and the whole experience of being in a, you know, a new city, you're on your own, you've got to fend for yourself. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a fabulous thing to do. So performing never came into your mind then?
1: I put it that way though. Why do you think I perform now?
0: Well, you perform well in front of the camera, that's for sure. But I also have some inside information of an infamous performance you did at a <laughs> talent show. Here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a talent show after you finished your exams in school. Do you want to share well, with the group? There's a video of this somewhere. Uh, d- of now, this somewhere. I've been made aware of this. Also, I have yet to see this video, but I feel, for the purposes of accompanying this podcast, this video has to be made public.
1: Yeah, I don't know where it is, but it was quite good. I mean, back in the day when the, all the young people now will know them as Ant and Dec, but you know, I only know them as, uh, them as PJ and Duncan, which was their older ego uh, <laughs> pop group from the kids' TV programme Biker Grove, which we used to watch every night when we got in from school. And uh, they had some great songs. Not sure anyone would agree with me, but they had some great songs. And uh, we did a tribute act to PJ and Duncan as I left school, uh, which was I wasn't even drinking at that age, so I do not quite know what was going on in our heads, but uh, it went down very well.
0: I'm sure it did. I'm just, I'm trying to picture you in like kind of baggy, because this is what they were. They were, you know, for people who have no idea who these people are, they were in a, you know, teenage kind of program on the TV. And then they switched to being (laughs) pop idols for for a couple of years, Uh, but they used to dress in these really baggy jeans and big shirt so were you dressed the part did you have these big baggy jeans on and uh, we had backwards uh, big cap. Baggy,
1: we had big baggy fluorescent kind of track suits that were made by my mum of
0: course of course of, she obviously. would make them she makes everything yeah,
1: exactly you've seen what she makes for the little lad so yeah she made she was still making it for me back then so uh, yeah she she made those um they also still exist somewhere uh, I'm moving house in a few weeks, so maybe I'll find them. And if I do, I'll bring them to show you, which oh, I'm sure please, you'll enjoy. Please, uh, yeah, they they exist. And there was also a, a performance on uh, a Saturday morning TV show called Live and Kicking, where we won a competition because the football team I was in was so bad that we uh, we won a, a training competition with with Paul Lince, an ex Liverpool player, Jamie Theakston who was in goal and presenting it and that was the first time I ever did a piece to camera now that also exists as well I must dig that one out because that's a good wow one I got. we
0: we need to see both of these I was aware of the Paul Ince story so you had to you won this competition by having to say in a few words why you needed a training session with Paul Ince. yeah I can still
1: I can still remember it it was like 20 words or less uh around that or something and it was back in the day where you didn't have telephones so you had to send it in on a postcard uh <laughs> And it was something like top of the sportsmanship league, bottom of the football league, goals for five, goals against 128. Uh, Please help. I think that's all it said.
0: (laughs) Well, that is it is a cry for help, isn't it? And he did help. So, yeah, you know, you you have performing experience already before you were in front of the cameras in, in, in rallying. I was just, you know, curious as to whether you wanted to pursue any of that, but obviously not. How did well, you... Well, I mean, I think,
1: I think it's weird because I'm sure you've clearly spoken to my mum for quite a long time. These Ryanair flights back to Bristol are obviously <laughs> a bad move uh, that you share with her. But um, I was probably... She probably told you, you know, I was one of the shyest people ever when I was younger. Uh, yeah. And I wasn't any any good at speaking to people, I hated speaking to people. And, um, you know, it's not until the last 10, 15 years of working at sport really, that I've become a lot more confident in what I do. But... Um, yeah, it was very. It was. I always. I always used to find it very difficult to speak to strangers and things when I was younger. Uh, but you know, over time you kind of grow with that, and I think that's something you can only develop a, over time. You can't. You can't just um, press a switch and suddenly be okay and, and seem more confident. You know, it's something that's taken a long time to get to where I am. But uh, yeah. yeah, I did t- tend to shy away from things. Believe so,
0: it or not, I, it is kind of hard to believe because you seem so so confident and you know very self-assured so for people listening right now listening to your to what you're saying now your background the sports science degree not quite knowing exactly where you were going and right now your team principal at M Sport, that's quite the jump in 20 years it's, give or take give, give or take rich how did certainly we- probably not what i expected <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it isn't, which makes it such a fantastic story. So you leave university. What happens next?
1: um So I again still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, wasn't even considering motorsport as a job, to be honest. At that point, it was something that I I'd looked into, kind of had a think about. I had this perception in my head that you'd have to be trained as a mechanic or an engineer or or. Business degree or something to have any chance. So I wasn't even contemplating it. Um, one thing I'd done when I was younger is I'd done some work experience with the police. I'd always, uh, I'd always enjoyed television programs or anything about the police and and traffic police uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did some work experience with uh, one of my mum's friends' husbands, who was a traffic police and an armed policeman in Bristol. And so that was something I was really kind of thinking that could be a cool job as well. Uh, so I decided to apply. Um, I took another gap year after uni, by the way. And went back on the farm again. I couldn't quite give it up yet. Wow. But uh, then thought I needed to needed to do something. So so joined or tried to join with, um, with the police in Southampton. Uh, went for a couple of their kind of recruitment drives and. Um, got through the first one okay, got to the second one, and unfortunately didn't get the the results of, of uh, what I'd hoped. And then it meant that effectively they said that you wouldn't be able to qualify in this time. And it was very hard to get into places, very small amount of intake versus applicants. So uh, I didn't really know what to do at that point. And then, you know, I was being pushed to try something different at least. And if I wanted to go back to farming afterwards, then absolutely no problem, but it was kind of all I'd known. So was the idea was to try it and, and see where we went um and um kind of looked around and the only thing uh I could find was well not the only thing I could find but I somehow I stumbled across the M Sport website uh, I think it was after we'd been to watch Rally GB as well
0: um so what year was, was that what year was that Rally GB that you went to see
1: uh that was uh it was the year that Colin uh Colin won uh, no, sorry, the year that Colin had his big crash. So, 2000,
0: Oh, 2002, well, 2002. 2002, when he was battling for the championship and had a big crash. Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so I've been to see oh, could that. Have been, no, and it could have
0: been before that, actually. Yeah, it could have been 2000.
1: Yeah, I think it was around 2000. And, yeah, and, yeah and, 2000. You know, there's people There's people there now that I remember watching from the other side of the fence, Malcolm being one, uh, Marco Martin, um, I think was in the RS-coloured focus, the blue one. Um, and, and dad had bought me a, uh, so my favorite driver at the time was Beth Solberg and dad had bought me a, a, tour around Subaru as well. So we had dinner with Subaru and had a look around and people like Ken Reese and all that, you know, it's crazy to think now that I know all these people, but back then they were kind of, uh, people that you were really like looking up to, but yeah, I think from that, i would looked, started looking at some rallying jobs and I actually did some work experience with another person I met from, um, from my time at university. Uh, a guy called Simon Robinson who worked at Mitsubishi and uh, he'd he got me some work experience with Mitsubishi as well so i had done three or four days with them um, uh, in the transmission department and shakedown and had a ride with David Higgins in the car and things like that and, and it was looking like I was going to get offered an opportunity to go and work for them as a mechanic um, and unfortunately it seemed to be one of those things where something comes up and then another barrier comes in the way and Mitsubishi pulled out of the championship shortly after they kind of said that they were interested in it taking me on, which was a real shame and a bit of a blow. And I kind of thought, well, that was the opportunity and that's gone now. Um, but then ended up stumbling across the M sport, um, opportunity and website. And there was a job at M sport to, to come up with help with um, parts support for the focus WRC at the time. So I applied and, um, got an offer to come up for a, a trial. Um, but for me at the time, like I said, I was quite shy. I hadn't really done much on my own. Um, and now I'm facing myself with a potential 300-mile drive north um, to a little place called Cockermouth i never heard of. uh didn't even know where it was and, and kind of set out uh, on my own. Um, but I came up for a trial, did three days. was kind of blown away by the fact that you walk into a workshop and you're with all these World rally cars and, you know, all this this team that you see on the television, you're now helping out. Um, Went back home, got uh, the following week, got a a job offer. um, And that kind of put me in a position I had to decide what I'm doing. And uh, I think I had a long, hard think about it and was kind of like, you know, mum and dad were like, just go for three months, see what it's like. If you don't like it, come back again, but don't miss the opportunity. And I kind of did that. uh, And that was 15 years ago. So (laughs) the three months got extended.
0: Yeah, just a little bit, but again, uh, you know, if, to start off, you know, looking after parts and and to get to where you are now is is quite some escalation in in what you were doing. And I, I mean, I want to go back just to that event that you were at and you were looking over the fence and and you're seeing Marco Martin's car and you're having dinner with with the Subaru World Rally Team. I mean, what what did that feel like to you? How much of a Kind of fan were you at the time? Was that a real special kind of memory for you?
1: Oh, I think it's a special memory in the fact that it shows it is because I can still remember it very clearly. You know, I was um, I was definitely a super fan in terms of WRC. Um, you know, I found when we were when my mum and dad were chucking all my stuff out of my room at their house and uh, you know telling me to sort out what I want to keep and what I didn't. You know, you go back through and you find your old books or your old graphic design folder mine just had rally cars all over it um, and I had I remember I had Subaru fleeces that's all I wanted for my birthday was World Rally Team fleeces or jumpers or t-shirts and I think if you ask any of my friends from back then they would they would only remember me as wearing all these Subaru jackets You um, know, I was definitely one of those people and uh, dad would buy Subarus you know dad had a couple of quite cool Subarus back in the day. He had a P1 at one point, which was like the ultimate version of the UK version of the rally car. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was really into it. And, you know, Dad was into it as well because you know he would he would probably spend his money on stuff I wanted and I wasn't allowed at the time because I was too young. So, you know, having his car and things like that was was just got me really into the sport. And uh, then having the opportunity to get up close to some of these drivers and you know having a hospitality dinner with with Subaru was like out of this world type thing. Um, and I can remember the tour and everything going around. And, you know, I kind of look at that what I, with what I do now, or, you know, there's someone that I see that's younger, that's got as much kind of interest and passion in the sport as I do. And, you know, try I uh, try and just have two minute chat with them and just say like, you, you I can see that you're almost exactly the same as how I was growing up. And if you really want this to happen and there's opportunities to make it happen, um, because you know we need younger people and we need new people coming to sport all the time and it can be it can seem like it's such a difficult sport to get into but there is a role mm. for everyone if you if you're determined to do it enough um and I think you know I don't like to be big-headed but you can turn around and I and say yes I did do it and I've managed to get to where I am through, through doing it um but you know you do have to have that passion in the sport and, and I gave up a lot over the 15 years to try and get to where I am but I think I did have it when I was younger because it was the only sport that I was so so interested and excited about and watched religiously and you know my brother watched football religiously and I watched uh, I watched rallying instead so it's one of those things kind of built in really Um, if you like it that much you 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 can't do much about it it's always in your head you're always looking at something you're always watching something you're always going to find something I remember going out on my own to go and watch local rallies and just take the day out and Go and see what I can find, and you know I used to love going and driving around the countryside, then going on a bit of a hike through the forest to try and find somewhere to watch and and that kind of thing. Watching people like Andy Burton who had crazy uh, Peugeot Cosworth uh, uh, rally car, so I'm sure a lot of people will have watched on YouTube, you know, going to watch that and things like that. btrda Rally, Somerset Rally, Somerset Stages Rally, you know, I I had so many good memories from back then, and and the way I look at rallying now has changed a lot because of what I do on a day-to-day basis. I still have this passion for watching uh, national rallying or getting involved in doing little rallies or doing night rallies. You know, I still love doing that because that's what really got me into it at the start.
0: Mm. So you're working in M-Sport, you've started your job, but obviously you've seen Malcolm Wilson, A, on the TV, B, across the fence, and all of a sudden you're working in, you know, the same building as him what were those early kind of months like with Malcolm and how much interaction did you have with him at that time? Because right now you're joined at the hip.
1: Yeah, it was very different when I joined, you know, uh, he was, he was very much focused and, and working hard on running the, the world rally team at the time, which we doing very well. And, you know, the part side of things was a really exciting part of the business, which was growing. Um, yeah. But, but my, my kind of immediate bosses at the time, a guy called Fraser Graham and, and Alistair Burnett, you know, were were busy doing their things, um, and they were controlling that side of things. And actually, when I came to to M Sport to start the job, my job already swapped because the guy who was who was uh, working on the Fiesta ST say sale, part sales at the time uh, it was a, a lad called Tom Krausek who was back at M Sport now, but he was he fell off his mountain bike and broke his back, so was off uh, was off work for best part of a year so when I turned up they they had a hole that needed filling. so I went from working on potentially going to work on focus parts to working on fiesta ST parts which was in the same office mm. but we were the sales office and Malcolm would come around and you know shake people's hands and congratulate people after good results in WRC but in terms of me interacting with Malcolm it was probably a couple of years really I guess before before there was anything major of me speaking to him because i would go through other line managers or other 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 departments to kind of uh alter my career or pursue my career path as it went through so i didn't have really much discussions with malcolm apart from a hello and a, a handshake here and again for for a while um yeah. and it was really surreal you know he was still malcolm wilson um and and this person that you just saw and you're like, blimey, I work for him. And and again, you can see that in some, some of the new people that come into the building now. I see it in a very different way now, because like you say, I deal with Malcolm regularly on a day to day basis. And mm. and uh, you still don't lose the respect or or the, you know, the persona about who he is as a person. But you just interact with him in a different way. Um, and but back then it was quite scary. Yeah. You didn't want to make any mistakes. Yeah. Um, and well, try not to anyway. I still make them now, but you know, you try your best to, to do the best you can. But it was just a very surreal experience, I guess. It's a bit like meeting your heroes, really. And now, and now, I'm in a very different position to them.
0: Yeah, I remember when I interviewed Tom Fowler for this podcast. Gosh, back in 2020, and he was talking about his first interview at M Sport and being interviewed by Christian Lorio. And, you know, Christian was kind of a bit of a hero to him at the time. And it was a bit like sweaty palm moments and, you know, how different it all became when they were all working together. Then it's it's kind of surreal. So obviously your three months went very well there. You're, you know, give it a go for three months, see how it goes. And you wanted to stay on, but you wanted to further your career. And I guess did, did you think, right, you know. I could actually move my career forward at M Sport was there that thinking at the beginning or were you just doing the job
1: I think I was just kind of doing the job you know I think the, the hardest thing for me to begin with was to move away from family and friends um, and I tried to go home a lot on weekends um, but it was a good four and a half hour drive so you you would leave on a Friday night and, you know you'd have Saturday and half of Sunday uh, in Bristol and then come back again and that became quite tedious at the end uh, but I think it was difficult for me to kind of um uh, you know really put myself into the area and and just kind of start to really uh you know embrace Cumbria and live here but over time that kind of um slowly changed and you know I actually started at the same time as another a number of other young guys and there's a, a young Irish lad called Johnny Cunningham who I met and got on really well with um, and we ended up sharing a house, uh, getting a house to, to share in in Workington. And, and, you know, I think that was a key step because he was from, from Southern Ireland, so he didn't go home so much. So at weekends, you know, where there was stuff for uh, us that we could do together, be it biking or or going out or, you know, just uh, going to the pub or whatever. He didn't drink, so it was perfect taxi driver for me. <laughs> um but, you know, we started to get into a group of people and a group of young lads that were all in similar positions to us. And I think that then made me think, you know, I quite enjoy what I'm doing up here. I didn't have any real idea of where it was going to go, what was going to happen. But, you know, for the first three months, I think you're still taking everything in. So you have no you have no kind of thoughts about career progression you're just thinking Mm. this is quite a cool job quite like this um you know there might be some opportunities to travel and i kind of the way i work my life is look at little steps like what's the next little goal i want to Complete, and I think when I first started, it was like right, getting into the job, and it'd be great if I could go on a even a, like an Irish uh, Irish event with them sport, or a British Championship event, or whatever. And the next one might be to go on a World Championship event, and so on. So I was always had little tiny things I wanted to achieve and do, um, and and they did come with time. But at the start, it was just a case of you know seeing where it went, and um, I think within about twelve months of starting, there was opportunity came up that the series coordinator Kira uh that was running the Irish and UK fiesta championship she she left to go to a different role and you know an opportunity came up for that and I was put forward for it um and they asked me if I wanted to do it and I think that's where this kind of career progression started so it wasn't even me pushing it it was um it was getting the opportunity to do something from within from within the company and that kind of started the 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 path that I've ended up on today
0: yeah that's that's quite incredible what was your first WRC event away from home, away from GB even.
1: I think it was Finland from memory. Because oh, I was looking wow. on the computer. Just a small little event, was, eh? <laughs> yeah, there were some photos of yeah, I remember because it was with Fiesta Sport Trophy International, it was called at the time, FSTI, which was the precursor to kind of JWRC with M Sport and things like that. Um so we were running the ST championship in selected European rounds. Cause I think JWRC JW, juniors at the time of JWRC, the super 1600 cars. So we were running uh, the, the STs with various national champions from around Europe. And I went to help with part support on the event in Europe. And I'm sure Finland was the first one. Cause I've got some pictures. Cause I remember asking the guys I was working with Phil Bradshaw said, do you think it's all right if we go and take some photos of the WRC cars from, uh, you know, down the other end of the service park, you know, cause for me, this is like, Blimey, now I've gone from being in, in in M Sport to see these World Rally cars to being on an event to see all of the World Rally cars and all of the service park and all of these people you see on the telly and come to Finland. I'd only ever been to GB and never really kind of even considered going to watch rallying outside of the UK. So I was like, this is absolutely unreal. So I had been a right fanboy taking photos of everything. i still got them now. Um, <laughs> and it was a kind of focus day. So it was like, man, when Matthew was driving the Stobart Focus. and So think what was year the, was well, this was then? The year, it was the year Yari won, so it would be two thousand and six or seven. No, it'd be later than that. No, it's later nine than or that. Like that. Yeah, nine or 10.
0: I think it's nine.
1: I yeah, because I, I mean, I went there, and I think that was my first event outside of the UK, and then we won. So I ended up even getting on the podium. So it was like this is just insane, you know. This is, <laughs> <laughs> and I think probably getting on that podium with people like Tom Fowler and Christian and. And it's kind of kind of crazy when you look back now later in life, where all these various people that you kind of started at similar times with have gone mm. on to get within either within rallying or within motorsport themselves. But you know, looking back from them, they were great memories, and it was a really great team to be around, and uh, still keep in touch with a lot of them. But yeah, coming being sent to this rally in Finland was just crazy, and then other opportunities came up to go to other WRC events. You know, doing other things, hosting guests, uh, and things like that, because. We, you know, they knew that I was. I love rallying as a sport in general, so we had sponsor guests or whatever. It was like, who can we, who can we ask to go and look after the guests and, uh, and do that job? So for me, it was like, what you mean? You want to pay me to go and watch a rally with people? <laughs> Absolutely, no problem. So uh, I did a few events with them and and did some incredible stuff back then. You know, that because I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, there was a lot more flexibility and. Yeah, I remember going to Finland and having guests that were be being having heli transfers and stuff like that so watching rallies in a helicopter like could you ask for anything more absolutely no. not so <laughs> I was very I, lucky to do that stuff
0: but going back to what you said earlier about you know being very you know shy and not doing well with with you know strange people or strangers and kind of within yourself and now all of a sudden you're in international events looking after groups of people who probably come from different areas of the world and you're the front man guiding them through a rally. What a contrast.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that was yeah I think that and, and I always I look at it like if this job stopped tomorrow, then um you know I wouldn't be I wouldn't be disappointed or upset. I would be of course, but I wouldn't be in some ways, because you'd look back and think, Blimey, I've achieved so much and developed so much as a person and and all of it's just due to each little thing I was given or each little uh, experience I had or event I was able to go and do. I think it just helped build that little extra piece of the puzzle of to who I am now. Um, and, you know, you just become a little bit more confident in yourself or you feel a little bit more able to do something or, you know, you just, you just slowly learn as you go along and pick it up. And I think you've just got to admit that you can't do everything perfectly and you can only learn by making mistakes or, or doing something or being put in an unfamiliar situation, Um, you know, to think back then and think now that I'm not concerned if I go to a brand new country, brand new place, I don't know what's going on, something goes wrong and I don't know what to do, I'll find out, I'll work out how to do it, it'll be okay. We can only do the best you can, you know. 10, 15 years ago, I'd have probably sat in the airport on my own, not knowing what to do, sat there, just having some kind of breakdown about what's going (laughs) to happen. And now now it's kind of very much like, well, we're going to have to solve it. Let's see what we can achieve.
0: uh, all
1: that's been learned over the years
0: it is just experience isn't it because i think yeah you know i'm pretty much in the same boat with that you know when i first started i was you know you're a bit not scared of travel internationally but when we were going further afield and you know places where okay I i don't speak the language and what if things go wrong and oh god things have gone wrong and you need to get yourself out of situations and into good situations and you kind of do it off your own bat but that only comes with experience now i don't think anything of travelling even to you know if someone said to me tomorrow you know and going to the the, the depths of the desert or whatever I'd be like okay fine <laughs> you know I, I can deal with it i can handle it but only cuz it's like you say it's experience over the years which kind of really puts you in good stead so you're in this role you're you you know you're at the forefront of of the fiesta what was it called again fiesta what was it
1: international
0: when did that come to an end then Because I remember that championship fondly and all the, you know, the different elements or different drivers from around the world that used to compete in that. But when did it disappear?
1: Uh, You're testing my knowledge now as well. I think it, I think it carried on for quite a while. And then, like I say, JWRC was super 1600s and then we introduced SWRC, which was super Uh, 2000 WRC championship. And then, and then the JWRC moved out of super 1600s and went to Citroën's for a while. Um, with the C2, I think it was, and, and things like that. And then, you know, we still had that that Fiesta, um, but then we introduced, I'm pretty sure it was like JWRC when we, when we released the first R2 car, kind of came back towards M Sport. So there were still cars competing in um, WRC um, from M Sport in different categories. And I, I got involved in more and more of that, uh, you know, helping with part support on events for, for the Super 2000 cars. Uh, and, and later on, obviously, you had two cars or R5s who are known men. But the other job I was doing back in the UK was coordinator, like I say, for the UK and Irish Championship. And um, so I was putting together the press releases, writing press releases, doing all the movement schedules, the prizes, the prize givings. And, you know, met some a lot of people through those ranks that are still competing today. You know, Craig, Elvin, um, you know, uh, uh, Alistair Fisher. Yeah, uh, there was there was loads of people went through the UK ranks that have gone on to do very very well, um, and I think that's really kind of I enjoyed that because i going to Ireland, going to UK on my own with a with a transit with parts and kind of doing everything, writing uh, the theme tune, singing the theme tune as I say as I used to say type thing, and you know people would come <laughs> with me and Andrew Wheatley and. Chris Williams, technical director now, and, you know, they would come and do the scrutineering and they were just little events that were like quite low, low stress, but really exciting and really good to be involved with this competitive one mate championship that people were, were really interested in. And, and, you know, that helped develop things a lot. And then that turned into going forward to do more of the sales stuff with the, like I say, the super 2000, Mm. the R5 and then WRC as well. So kind of all started to gather momentum very quickly from that point.
0: It was, it was exciting times um, for you, I, I can imagine. I mean, what was it like? Because you came in contact with so many, you know, incredible drivers at your time at M Sport because Marcus was still there when you were there, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I,
1: I didn't really know people like Marcus. I didn't really know Miko that well. Uh, unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to work or really meet Colin. Um, so those people were still like these rally gods, even when they were in the team, you know, Marcus and Miko were in the team, never really met them or saw them or spoke to them because I wasn't involved in that part of the team. And they were still very much like these, yeah, like I say, these gods. So <laughs> haven't dealt with them at all for a long time. So, uh, although I knew of them and nowadays, Yes, I could speak to any of them now, but that took a long time. I'm trying to think who the first real drivers I had involvement with were uh, in terms of WRC. It was probably Miko at the end of his career, Petter when he came back to us a little bit, um, and then customer and Pet- drivers at the time. And Petter
0: was the hero. Petter was the original hero. So he comes to M Sport, that must have been like a bit of a bing, 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 bing.
1: It no. definitely was, and, you know, I still... I still openly admit that Petter is one of my favourite drivers. You know, I think his enthusiasm and the way he, he acts and you know how he won the championship and the way he used to celebrate and stuff was what got me really hooked on it. So, yeah, um, yeah he is a character, don't get me wrong. Um, and Oliver's very similar to him. And it's crazy to think that, you know, back then watching Petter and now... You, I remember Oliver, and I think a lot of people, including yourself, will remember Oliver running riot around service parks and things like that when he was younger. Oh, so it's,
0: it's worse than that, Rich. I held him in my arms as a baby. That's, <laughs> well, there you, you go. Know. That's but, how old you oh, really are. Oh, 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 I know, I know. No one no one really knows my true age. I'm like a kind of Chinese <laughs> dragon you'll never really know. <laughs> but, yeah, getting Petter back, was, you know, that was
1: crazy, really, because, like you say, he was still a hero to me, and... and um, you know, not someone I really worked with in the team in close, in a close relationship. So you know him, him being there was fantastic. And then, you know, we had the, the younger customer drivers coming through the ranks. So, you know, people like Hayden, like Mads, like, uh, who else did we have in the time? But then, you know, when I started to look back through some of my files from, 2015 onwards a number of different drivers we've dealt with is incredible yeah Um, and you forget how many people have come through unsport as customer drivers or one-offs or or gone on to make a career or anything
0: so Thierry Neuville kind of is the one that spring springs to mind but you're right there's so many if you had to look back you'd have a huge list wouldn't you
1: oh Evgeny Novikov he created some great stories (laughs) put it that way you know he was he was a hell of a character. Um, but, you know, uh, Craig, Elvin, um, Eric Camilli, you know, you know they're more the, the modern ones going back and looking. You know, when we used to have Kuypers, uh, uh, Rennie and Dennis, and yeah. uh, the Munchies team, and there's just endless amounts. And I keep, I kind of keep little things from each rally, whether it be like livery mock-ups that we did or little stickers or anything and I just keep them in a box you know I think one day when I look back and I decide to calm down a bit and do less traveling then you know you look back and have all these memories it'll only really be relevant to to probably me but just all these things that you're involved in and stuff like that you know I even collect uh, like programs and stuff from events now because you know you look through it and it says team principal for Sport with my name against it and that's like that's just mad you know so keep little things there so that when I can look back one day and And Alfie's grown up, and his dad's embarrassing. I can at least show him those, and then uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been. It's just every day you do have to pinch yourself a little bit. You're kind of doing what you always dreamt would you would want to do. Um, But yeah, I've worked with so many people over the years, Um, so it's been meeting your heroes is, is sometimes one of the worst things to do and the best things to do. But the majority of times it's been really, really incredible for me. And it still goes on, you know, working with Loeb in January in Monte Carlo this year, he's someone I'd never spoken to. Because he was never in the team when I was there. Um, so I'd never had the, this opportunity with someone like him. And he was kind of on that little list of like, what would I like to do next? And, you know, work with Loeb would have been on that list. And now I can kind of say I've done that as well. So, you know, just keep, setting myself little targets little challenges in the future that try to work towards because I think it keeps you focused as well.
0: I think that's brilliant advice we'll talk about Loeb in a bit more detail in a while talk to me about the step up from where you were with all the Fiesta stuff to where you are now in that in the past kind of 10 years how has this all come about?
1: So I think the next step logical step was to go from From the Fiesta Sport Trophy or the the Rally R2 cars, you know, which was Rally 4, as we talk about now, the two-wheel drive cars. They were all built at M Sport in the UK. But then we designed and built the Fiesta Super 2000. And that was kind of the first, uh, like, sales car, bigger volume sales car that we were building with the higher value you know higher class car it was a new category um and Malcolm and Ford made the decision they wanted to make them and sell them to customers and so we kind of set up a new department or a new sub department of the sales team with with to, to look after this and uh Mike Stewart a guy that'd been around M Sport for a long time around rallying for a long time was kind of heading up the customer sales of the cars um and he needed someone to help him as a bit of a a bit of a um, know, yeah, a PA almost type of thing so I was involved in that helping to set up um, you know the technical bulletins uh, the handover documents make sure the invoicing was correct make sure the pass orders were correct and kind of just keep an overall administrative view on the whole project mm-hmm. um, and then that grew slightly into going on events to support with parts and do the stock control of the parts and I had a couple of stillages big metal stillages with parts in that we'd supply to people and then I'd be kind of the go-to in between of the technical department and the customer try and make sure we're doing that record any kind of issues or things on event and feed that back internally and to the customer base so it was kind of a new it was a, an extension of what I've previously been doing but also really exciting because it was in more involved in high level rallying and wrc events and things like that so i really got involved in that and then i think when we're on events it started to naturally kind of um, drift a little bit towards uh, working with some of the drivers as well because M Sport would run some of these cars themselves as well as just selling them yeah so i was helping to do the the logistics and the the communication between the customer drivers with their testing and their plans and their liveries and and the you know, the, the invoicing for the events and stuff like that. So I was getting involved in all sorts of stuff. Um, and I think, you know, that's where the business model that people run now of, of Arrive and Drive came from M-Sport and came from what I was involved with back then. Um, and it's great to see that we weren't doing too badly because that's really changed the way we operate. It's just the cars have changed and, and the way we do things in, has developed, which is what happens in life. Everything has to develop over time. But the fundamentals are kind of, as we set it up back in the Super 2000 days, um, and that then went onwards when we released the first R5 car and, uh, I ended up taking on the whole job of the sales team at that point to the R5. Um, and obviously we sold 180, 200 cars that kept me busy for two or three years. Um, <laughs> and we were, you know, we were doing everything. It was a great team of us. Molly Taylor was working with me at the time and, um, you know, there's, it was a really, busy time but we were going to events and selling parts there and like I say doing all the customer liaison and backup and stuff like that and that just helped me grow and grow and then that's when I was starting to get a lot more involved with Malcolm and and John Steele commercial director and things like that so you know that's where I was just kind of coming into my own And I think I was becoming more confident because I was actually really enjoying what I was doing. Um, yeah. you know it was just an exciting job and you'd watch the results of the weekend and there'd be an accident or someone had won and you'd be thinking right by Monday we're gonna to have to sort this because we're gonna to need to do this do that sort that out you know you just you're just <clears throat> deeply immersed in this really exciting environment and you're you're a pivotal role to all these people doing rallies um and that's what kind of keeps you going and, and that's what I really enjoyed about it um and it kind of kept developing from there really and went onwards to to do doing even more of the Arrive and drive customer programs in WRC, uh, and that's really what I was doing. And then Malcolm asked me to kind of go and sit on some of the FIA meetings and stuff like that. And then you start to meet this next group of people that are higher up again, and you meet all these new faces, and and you kind of, you know, you just start to expand your network. and And opportunities within M Sport came from that. And I think it was difficult for me because I am still quite young in some ways in what I'm doing as the role. Um, and tended to be quite a lot younger than some of the others in those positions because you know they've taken years to get the experience they need to get to there so yeah. I was definitely green green-faced in some ways uh, uh, green-fingered sorry in some ways of that respect and that can be difficult I found you know there's no denying for some people don't want to listen to younger people's views because they don't feel that uh they've got the experience or the know-how to talk about and I, I respect that because some of the views and some of the ideas I come up with were probably a load of rubbish. Um, but some of them, to be fair, and, and again, I don't like to be big headed, but some of the ideas I've come up with over time have gone forward and have been implemented, which again, I don't talk about, but in my head, I'm like, that's cool. You know, I suggested that and it's gone and, and happened. Um, but, you know, it takes time and there is a hierarchy in life and, you know, it's uh, to be a young person coming in and, and trying to, uh you know put um i only say these things and do these things i'm passionate about sport i want the sport to go forward and keep developing um but yeah it can be tricky when you're a younger person in in those kind of situations and i think that's something i've learned over time as well how to deal with that and you know fundamentally you need respect for everyone that you're around especially people that have got more experience than than me which most of them um But I will always put my point across rightly or wrongly.
0: (laughs) But but I think that's a good thing about you because you are very innovative with with ideas and and thinking and it's I think it's the passion there that's that's behind it that's pushing it all forward and you have to make your voice heard because that is ultimately what is going to push everything in what we are doing forward. People have to speak up whether they feel they've got the experience or not because you know you can be as old as the hills it doesn't mean that you have the best ideas in the whole world and being as young doesn't mean that you're you're very innovative but i think it's a combination of of both elements did you find it intimidating kind of moving into the upper hierarchy at first
1: oh massively you know you go to you go to FIA in Geneva or Paris and you sit in this room where they have a, a WRC commission meeting with all these people, the top people in the sport. Some I knew, some I didn't know. Uh, you know, people like Michelle Mouton, Robert Reed, all these people that are like, blimey, you know, um, even getting the opportunity to speak at the time to people occasionally like Jean Taut or, or things like that. You know, like, this is a bit surreal really. And mm-hmm. we're here to have a meeting. This isn't just a, an autograph session. This is a proper meeting. Um, So I was like a rabbit in headlights at that point. And that was where I was very much maybe still felt I was more confident, but actually inside I didn't have a clue what was going on. I wouldn't say anything to try to just keep quiet and go. And and then, you know, if I really thought there was something I was sure on, I would pluck up the courage to say it in the meeting. And it was people like Michelle Nandan at the time and uh, Eve was there. Um, You know, there was people that would go, yeah, no, we agree. And then that would just give you that little extra bit of like, confidence Sven Speeds from Volkswagen at the time you know and people like Sven got so much experience compared to what I had he competed in WRC as a co-driver at the highest level for a number of years Mm. Um, so you know I was very conscious about saying something that sounded stupid but over time you just kind of got used to it and you would know when to say something and when not to say something Um, but you learn a lot a lot of skills you know it's not as easy coming up with an idea and saying why don't we implement this you know there's often a lot of things in the background that don't allow it to happen quickly and I still read fans' comments on the internet a lot and things like that because I think what they say should be listened to because, you know, they they see the sport from a different side than maybe we do because we're so immersed into it. I agree. There is reasoning why things take long time to implement and stuff like that. So I just like to try and learn one step at a time. And like I say, I don't want to – I've got one opportunity to do what I'm doing. You don't want to mess it up by being overconfident and cocky and coming across in a bad way and people don't like you. You know, I think I try to do things in a slow but progressive manner, um, I just keep working at keep working at it, and hope that what I'm doing now will, in the, in the future, in the long term, see me be able to progress even further on from where I am. Uh, what that will be, I have no idea. But at <laughs> the moment, it's kind of it's kind of just enjoy what I'm doing and try and move this sport forward as best as possible.
0: Yeah, I, I, talk to me about um, obviously your. Malcolm is kind of bringing you in on these meetings relying on you a bit more heavily at what point does he turn to you and say you know Rich I want you to to be the team principal I want you to be like the face on events and and the spokesperson on events even though Malcolm is still there and maybe people don't know because they don't see him so much on the on the tv coverage he's still there or on events not every event but he's there in the background but you are the spokesperson out front and center um when did that transition happened? how did he put that to you was there was there a bit of a meeting over coffee or did this naturally just happen?
1: Well didn't really uh, so <laughs> what happened was that uh, yeah we did incredibly well in in 2017-2018 uh, mm-hmm. with Seb um, and I was kind of I think I was working you know pretty personally I think I was working fairly high up with Malcolm at the time during those two years helping with mm. uh, a lot of the stuff going on um you know taking on a lot of the projects in terms of the the some of the the sponsorship side and business side and kind of helping to develop that side of things and also be involved in fia matters and stuff like that but it was very much behind the scenes and yeah um you know would have loved to have done team principal role at that time but looking back now there's no way i was in a position to be able to do that you know you think you can do more than you maybe can at time but i had so much still to learn at that point um I'm glad it went the way it did. But we had Ogier, and you know I never expected Malcolm to let me do that job while we were winning World Championships. Um but then Seb uh, Seb left us at the end of eighteen. Um and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh honestly had a couple of or well, had an offer from somewhere else to go and work uh within the sport and another team torn. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I was completely torn on Torn on what to do, really. Um, you know, and I've always said to anybody, I'm always open to looking at new opportunities, but I've always been very open with people and said that look, it would have to be something really special because I'm not going to walk away from Malcolm because he's he's got me to where I am now. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a very very big decision to do anything different. Um, and the times that has happened, and it has happened, um, I've just gone and sat down with Malcolm and sat with him face to face and talked about it. Um, I'd rather be open about things than than not with the right people, um, and it, Malcolm's obviously been very respectful to that, and often said things like, "Well, it's a great opportunity, but I think you could probably do better," um, you know, and, and that's either a very clever way of trying to keep me here, but uh, <laughs> I actually think it's a very sense it's a very honest opinion and I think he's always said if the opportunity came up for you that he thought would really you know improve or push me into a a even different place to where I am now he'd tell me Mm. but at the time we were discussing it and uh, I went back to him with with some ideas for for what I thought I could potentially do in the future um at M Sport because I have told him the number of times I want to be I want to keep challenging myself I love being in these positions, these opportunities, but I want to keep growing and see how far I can take this. You know, and I think that's again the thing that comes over time with feeling a little bit more confident in that, you know, you can do a good job and you can you can help develop this sport and you know, develop my position in in this sport. And if you don't ask, you don't get. So I gave him a document which with a couple of ideas, one of which was I'd love to be team principal at some point. Um and I uh, went to have a chat with him after I gave, I gave it to him to have a read-through over the weekend. Went to have a chat with him the following week and he kind of said, well, if you want to do the team principal role, you can do it. So <laughs> that's kind of where it came from. Oh, wow. It was almost me suggesting and asking and, and he turned around and said, yeah, okay, if you want to, uh, we can do that. And it was just before Christmas. So I remember that, that, you know, all of a sudden there was this thing, oh, all right, okay. Uh, and then I remember we had to put the entry in for the following year in the championship and you have to, on the FA paper, you have to put the name of the team principal so I said, is it okay if I put my name? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So we put my name. And then I think uh, we put, obviously, Malcolm named as sporting director or, or whatever, ultimately, still his company still in charge. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see it as a huge change in the way we were doing things. Um, and I don't think either of us really knew how it would be seen or how are you going to approach this you know is this site like from tomorrow only i'm doing interviews or whatever and i was like i don't know but let's let's put my name down to begin with and then i think wrc.com picked up on it and all all kind of hell broke loose but i didn't want it to be like that because you know i don't I didn't want to be seen as taking job away from Malcolm or doing something. I just wanted to try and push myself a little bit more. Mm. And I think, yeah, like you say, Malcolm's still on nearly every event. You know, I still have absolutely no issue if people interview myself or Malcolm. The end of the day, it's a team effort to get things done. But it was important to me. It was important to me to really try and get that opportunity to do that role um, because a, it was a dream dream to happen, and and b, you know, like I say, I want to just keep challenging and improving and developing myself. And uh, and that was a really key one for me because I, I yeah I want to keep going in motorsport I don't know how far I can go but but without having that, that title or that responsibility at some point it would stop me and and I felt that I was ready to for the challenge and Malcolm was kind enough to give me the opportunity to do it um, and and it's gone from there really
0: and it's been incredibly successful I mean how did it feel being at Rally Monte Carlo after that you know. Uh, change which came in december you're into rally monte carlo and then you are team principal which as you said is it uh, didn't probably feel different in a work sense because you're doing exactly what you were doing before but now you're in front of cameras now you're being asked the questions by other journalists um did you find that any different than than previously
1: yeah i found it quite awkward to be honest on that first monte carlo and in 19, because you know, Malcolm was the head of M, he's the face of M Sport, and that yeah. will never change. And you know, suddenly there's this kid that a lot of people know who I am, but maybe not spoke to me or didn't really know who I was. Or, like I say, going back to this thing of younger person, I still only want to speak to Malcolm, I don't want to speak to you. Look, that's fine, you know, I don't fall out with anybody over that kind of stuff, you know that. But I did was very any- much did
0: anybody say that?
1: Not to my face, no, but <laughs> you know, I think you know that there's always people that feel you know that Malcolm's the only person they they can speak to I have yeah total i have no issue with that whatsoever but my goal was to try and help Malcolm as well mm. you know m sport was growing massively so give him an opportunity to focus on some other areas of the business and i can help him with the rally side of the program um and and if he didn't want to come to some rallies then he knew that there was a team of people and it's not just me you know just because i've got that role doesn't mean that the team runs because I'm there the team runs because there's there's 60 people all doing their job to make it happen and I'm just maybe the spokesperson for the team at the time um but you know it was important for me that I I took that role very gently and like I say earlier I don't want to come in and say right I'm the, I'm the main man here you only speak to me and this is how it works <laughs> that's not my approach at all it's very much like yep yeah, I'm happy to, to speak to people. And you know, I had a, a long-term goal that it would take two, three years to to be able to be kind of recognised and respected in that role that I've got because it, it could have gone wrong very quickly. And I, you know, I knew that we were in a very different position in 2019 after Auger left. Um, and we would probably be in a position where we weren't winning rallies. And uh, you know, it was a great time for me in some ways to go in to try and start to do that role because the pressure would be gone in some ways. Mm. um and it worked out quite well and you know we had two two tough years as a team um and I remember doing a lot of interviews of of talking about you know what chances we might have to do well um and unfortunately having a lot of rough results um but again that that time period taught me a lot as well and uh I wouldn't change it I wouldn't have wanted to come in and and had these good results or a victory or anything straight away because it'd give you a false sense of of where you are. And I think learning to deal with the, the difficult times is the best way to do it. And when the good times come is fantastic, but yeah. um, you know, it can't all be good times. And uh, you know, having that opportunity to learn in those two year period with Malcolm there, and I'll, I still go to him daily for advice or his thoughts. And now it's coming to a point where he's coming to ask me as well, my thoughts, which I think is fantastic. That, that for me is, I'm really proud of that is that he trusts me enough to ask what I think. And in general, 90% of the time, we probably agree in the long run of what we want to achieve. Maybe some short-term things we—I think one way Malcolm thinks another—but that's that's a good thing about having a working relationship and understanding what we should do. And ultimately, like I say, it's his business, and if he wants to go his direction, I'm absolutely fine with that, and we'll make it work. But you know, having the opportunity to to even input into that is really special. And you know, we've obviously come out this year with some with some great results, and. I, I think some of that is due to some of the the ideas or discussions that I've had with people and some of it's down to what Malcolm's had. So it's working as a, as a solution as well.
0: I know you're a, you're a busy man. I won't keep you much longer. I've just got a few more questions for you. Uh, What would you say has been the highlight so far for you when you're looking back across the past 15 years and you have to pick out just one moment, one, only one, what would it be?
1: Uh, it's just changed recently.
0: Really? <laughs> I wonder yeah. what that could be then.
1: <laughs> it's hard to do one. There's probably three things, if you'll allow me to have three.
0: Go on, I'll allow you three.
1: So the first one is the obvious one, 2017 GB, you know, winning yeah. all those championships. That, that was, like, incredible. And 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 to having been involved with the rally team, specifically WRC team, during that season. You know, when I started M Sport 2005-2006, were winning rallies it was fantastic but i wasn't on the rally team wasn't on the wrc team so it was a very different experience to what it was when you were involved day to day on the on the wrc team Mm. so winning that is something you'll never forget you know elvin winning his first rally being at home event just it was absolute fairy tale i'm just absolutely gutted there was no drive to survive kind of on the wall that year because that would have been incredible but anyway that's hindsight that's easy um the second one was is is kind of a non-results related um, experience, which, in I can't remember what year it was. Now Monte Carlo, two thousand and it was the year before Volkswagen came in. So what was that? Two thousand. Oh,
0: so they came in ten in tw- or something? they they no they came in in twelve. Did so they not 11. twelve or 13 Twelve was there wasn't that twelve their Skoda year and then they came in in thirteen maybe.
1: So it was the Skoda year um, because I remember Ogier was in the Skoda and it was also the time where WRC. Uh, the the promoter at the time had uh, I think gone bust or uh, uh, some yeah, financial yeah. issues. Yeah. So we ended up going to Monte Carlo with no timing and tracking um,
0: That's right. system,
1: and so there was no splits. And uh, <laughs> I remember spending the entire weekend going around Monte Carlo taking splits in a helicopter. Now that for me is like that was the best weekend of my life, flying in the front of a helicopter. Having been a man that enjoys uh, anything mechanical, um, and actually quite a bit of a plane spotter and a and a helicopter spotter as well myself, even now when you ask the girls in the office, the first one to run to the window when they hear a low flying fighter jet is myself to then quickly <laughs> track it on the internet to see what it was, where it's going, and what it's been up to, and then going on Facebook to look at the photos of it that someone's took. But anyway, that's a bit sad, but. Um,
0: I remember that so, year because we didn't have any timing. And I remember having, because my math skills are not the best, but I remember Colin being at the stage ends and I had to ask for every time that was yeah. written on the timing board and then write it all down and try and work out over times. It was, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, so
1: what a memory <laughs> that was. You know, one of the most iconic rallies ever, flying around to in these times to help the team. Brilliant. Like, that was just, it's just a memory I'll never forget. Um, just because of what it was. It was so special to see that kind of thing. And then the third one is obviously Monte Carlo this year. So like I say, you know, that that little chart I have in my head of what's the next challenge, you know, one was to eventually become team principal, got that. One was to, you know, then eventually win a rally as team principal. And, you know, that hadn't come for a good few years. And I wondered if it would, or if we're going to have the opportunity. And then we managed to get this load deal together. And other, I don't even think any of us thought, realistically we would challenge for that win in Monte Carlo it was a very outside possibility but you know that when you think about it now all the stuff that we we're up against who we were up against and everything we were like blimey this could be hard but we could get a nice result at the end of it and to, to win it in the way that we did and for me to be kind of seen as a team principal there you know it was obviously great to have Malcolm there as well but you know that that for me is an Effectively, I can say that as a team principal, we won Monte Carlo Rally with Sebastian Loeb on a debut of the new cars. I don't think I could make anything to beat that.
0: No, that, it, it was so special. And, you know, the way it was all done the whole weekend was was fantastic. But the Loeb deal itself, I mean, there were there were rumours of the possibility of it of it happening the previous year. I can't imagine how much work must have gone in to actually seal that deal down. I, was Loeb, you know, massively receptive to it at first? Did he really want to do it? Because, you know, from from what I've the way I've spoken to him, and he was the last podcast. He wants to do everything. He wants to drive everything. He's got such a passion for it all still, um, and certainly for WRC. Was was it hard to twist his arm, or was he, you know, I'm up for this?
1: So it was a deal that kind of went. It was a very long winding deal, and it. It really started with um, the discussions we were having with Red Bull, which had come from the partnership we managed to create with them with Adrian uh, and and Arno <coughs> Duhamel at Red Bull. You know, I've been speaking to him a lot, and the the chance to kind of work together was was uh, kind of evolving all the way through our discussions. And you know, our driver lineup at the time was was changing direction all the time and you know, we had this, well, we probably had about 55 different versions of what we could potentially do. <laughs> and at the end of it, you know, it was right. What about, I think even maybe I suggested it. What, what does Arno think about maybe seeing if Seb wanted to do something and Malcolm was open for it because Malcolm had always said he'd love to work with Seb and, um, and hadn't had that opportunity yet. And I think Seb had seen some video testing of our car and and then Arno put the offer to Seb and then long, long story short over all this time, we managed to make it work. But Yeah, there was obviously a lot of complications. Seb has a deal with with ProDrive for for Dakar and Extreme E, and we had to, you know, respect that. And they have the agreement with him for the year, so we had to try and get permission to be able to run in Monte Carlo. And everywhere you look, it was like barrier after barrier, and I think I probably nearly gave up about 10 times, (laughs) but kept pursuing because I was like, now this could be such a fantastic story, regardless of the result, just having him Mm. in the car for the team, for the for for the mechanics, for the fans, for everything, this could be such a great story, and yeah, it came together, and I think that's what makes it even more special for me, is in the background, I know how much hard work the whole team's putting in to try and make that happen, and for it to to come off is something that was like, <clears throat> the, the amount of satisfaction myself, the team, Malcolm, everyone got from that, is probably ten times more than even what the fans got, because of how much hard work we put into making it happen, uh, but it was a proper team effort to get that to work, and you know, one of those fairy tale stories and whatever happens the rest of the season or whatever, you know, thinking back to that memory will be something really special.
0: So what is next on the Rich Milliner target list then? Team principal ticked off, winning an event as a team principal with Loeb ticked off. What's next?
1: Well, I've got two lists because one's like rally related and one's normally related. And one, one of my normal things was like to go in a, in a, in a fighter jet or something like that but I got close in Estonia last year when Red Bull allowed me to go in one of their stunt planes. And that was amazing. So now it's on that list. It's like going either the red arrows or a fire jet. So if you can sort that for me, that'd be appreciated.
0: Well, I did watch Top Gun last night. And not that I want to go in a fighter jet, because I don't think I'd do well with the G-Force, but I, I can totally, yeah, I've, I've, I can see why you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and obviously driving any kind of tractors, that's on every list. But uh, the rally list, I don't know, the rally list is getting quite difficult because I've, I've achieved a lot more than I ever expected. Um, you know, it'd be fantastic to be involved in a, in a team and in this position for a team that wins a championship. Um, whether that happens or not is, is anybody's guess. But I think, I don't know, the next... Uh, like I said, right at the start, I would still love to continue developing in motorsport, and I'm aware that, you know, I've only really worked in one kind of form of motorsport, which is rally. Um, and, you know, there's other opportunities, there's other great series, there's new ones, evolving ones, all sorts. So I think uh, it would be... I would love to be a, a team principal in... in um, you know maybe another form of motorsport in years to come. Um and just try and have a bit of a varied or a wider uh, range of skills from, from different varies of areas of motorsport because I think you learn a lot from rally but if you yeah. were to go to a circuit-based role it'd be very different. Um I think my passion will always be rally um but but I'd love to learn to take some of the skills I've learned here to do a, a different series one day. Um, and you know that may come through an opportunity here at Sport because there's there's more than one program running out of these buildings yeah. or it may come from opportunity externally um who knows but you know just take one day at a time really I don't plan too much I have in the back of my mind that's what I'd like to achieve I'm sure I can achieve it somehow someday but you know all my opportunities have honestly come through just working hard and seeing what I can uh, what comes from it it's not really me looking I've never looked for anything really just being kind of uh presented opportunities which I've taken um and that's kind of the way I have the outlook, really, is is I'm not going to go looking for things. But, you know, I think if I can get results of the position I'm doing, work hard to do that, then you know, opportunities do appear. So let's wait and see what happens, really. And if the right one comes, then who knows? But at the moment, I'm really happy that, you know, I'm doing this role in a really what I see as exciting era of WRC. Um
0: it is an exciting then... era, isn't it? I I think it is. I've I've got one final question for you with regards to WRC and the future. I mean, you are a very innovative, forward-thinking person. What do you see as the immediate future for the WRC? Not just in our technical side, but in everything, because you're across. I have opinions on 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 everything that we do, from from the television coverage, even. I know that you, you know, have a very kind of firm opinion on on what we do there. And that's changed radically from from the way it was when you came into the championship. What do you see as the immediate future moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think it's split two sides. You know, technically wise, you know, we've got to be aware and we've got to be reactive to the requirement for being a cleaner sport and um, pushing forward technology. And a lot of uh, championships are obviously looking at electric, full electric for me it's imperative the dna of rally the the way we do the sport the way we go to stages and see all these different places and operate over a large area doesn't change um in the immediate future now there isn't electric technologies we can see that can allow us to do that hybrids a fantastic first step um and over the next few years we need to look at how we develop that as well to bring in more more fuel options uh, technology options that allow us to continue to just to run the sport as it is, but in a cleaner way, but also have a wider outlook on the sport. You know, let's let's be factual here. The emissions from the cars are a very small part of the emissions from the sport. Um, I think the the whole sport needs looked at as how we can be cleaner, you know, do we cap the number of people we take on rallies so that we take less people abroad. So we have less carbon emissions, less flights, less fuel, less things. like that. Do we look at, you know, how do we, how do we maybe get the fans to and from the events with less uh, emissions or less impact to the environment? Um, You know, we need to look at this globally. Uh, You know, each team has a very different way of setting up on events. Uh, ours is very small. Some of the others are are um, very different. Um, should we have something that is the same for everybody? Should the country supply the setup, service area setup, so we're not moving extra equipment around? You know, we need to develop the entire sport, uh, and then the more you make that sustainable, cleaner, and and interesting, the more you can potentially attract new uh, new um, manufacturers or opportunities. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at things in in a sporting perspective, which I think we need this global approach and I know the FA are looking at as well, but we need to act quickly on that as best we can, although that's difficult when you, when you deal with big OEMs because they have, you know, they have plans that already stretch 10 years into the future. So you're asking them to change their mind and be very quick, quick changing is is sometimes hard to do but then on the media side of things as well we need to grow the sport as best we can I still think and I'm biased obviously but rallying has some of the most exciting uh, videos films accidents stories there possibly is you know we've seen the success of drive to survive with formula one yeah Um, we'd have to be very careful we don't do a carbon copy of that because yes it would work but it would probably only have a limited appeal but you know I think People love to watch sport for the background stories. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I watch a lot of sport myself and yes, yeah, some of it I'll sit down and watch fully, some of it I'll just catch up on the results in the evening for five minutes. But if there's a documentary on sport and something I've looked at the results of, but I want to watch the background stuff, you know, I'll be watching that. Um watch Drive to Survive obviously like everybody else and I believe that I very much like watching my golf and I believe the PGA Tour have done one with some of their players in the back rooms and that's something I'm really excited to see because you never really see any of the background material on golf and it's becoming a huge sport for younger people but I feel rallying is the same, you know, everybody sees the stories we do on the events but no one sees the stuff in the background, no one sees how difficult it is for us to rebuild these cars and send them to Kenya and then get them Mm. back again and rebuild and send them away engineers will often be very um, you know, very careful about what they show, what they see. They don't want to let anything out there that might be seen by another team or whatever. But for me, it's like we have to be so open, you know, just to let people in and see what we're doing. It's exciting. It's interesting. The more excitement and interest we get, the more opportunity to grow the sport. If you want to be a closed door, we've only got a finite way of growing the sport. So we've got to be more open about it.
0: I am totally with you on that. And I, I would love to see something like Drive to Survive. But my my one fear is the teams won't be open because we already have experience of that with All Live. So that's, and trying That's where to... I think
1: we have to be. You know, that has to come from the very top, that the regulations state that you must allow this access. Yeah. You know, we have to think bigger than saying to the teams, is it OK if we do this? Because if you're given an option, you'll say no. Yeah. Unless you have someone that really wants to push it. And I can say, well, you can have access to elements of it. I'll let you you can have access to, to myself, to the media guys, to the drivers, all you want. Engineers is going to be hard. But that's what people want to watch. But we yeah. have to we have to force it as part of the rules. You know, Formula One have pretty much done that. You know, they 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 have rules in their regulations that mean some things can't be hidden. You know, you can't put barriers up in front of the cars in the race weekends. You can't hide anything. And, you know, there's still all these different divides in the performances of the team. So, yes, at the time, it's interesting and it could be seen as difficult. But the the the, the filming doesn't go out until the end of the year anyway. Yeah. So you're not missing much, but we've just got to be more forceful and have a goal and a direction of what we want. And fully really appreciate it. we've got to take into account the, uh, you know, the the um, the viewpoints of the different perspectives and parts of the team. But ultimately, without fans, we don't have a sport, so we can't shut them out. And fans expect behind the scene footage at the moment and we don't have that. So I'd love to find a way that that
0: happens. Yeah, me too. Good. Well, I'm leaving that in your hands because I think you're safe to carry that forward. To be honest, uh, okay. you'll get that. You'll get that sorted. You've got everything okay, else ticked off on your yeah. list, so uh, just add it to the Rich Milliner list of things to do. And I think we can all be safe in the knowledge that it will happen at some point. Rich, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and and hear your story. I think it's one of the most fascinating in the service park, and it I think it is a proper inspiration for people out there who want to work in motorsport they're not sure what they want to do but just getting in there getting started and and look what you've achieved over your years with huge hard work but what an inspiration it is so yeah thank you for sharing it with me
1: no no uh, no problem at all and yeah I'm very I'm very lucky in what I've achieved but that is my story to a lot of people and it's very cliche and a bit I find a bit awkward saying it but you know if you really want to do it then there is ways to achieve what you want to get to um, but yeah I gave a lot of sacrifice up I went to hundreds of events over the last few years and didn't have much of a social life back at home but you know life kind of worked itself out and I'm very lucky now I have a, uh, you know, a great partner who I met at Sport and a little boy as well so you know, it's all going very well but if you really want to achieve it and do as best you can then it's, 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 it's there for the taking
0: It is indeed Mate have a, a great rest of your weekend and I will see you at the Safari Rally
1: Indeed see you in a few days for more great World Rally Championship content, head to WRC+, with its thousands of hours of
0: archive footage and exclusive live programming, event review shows and extensive on board Special features, too, on some of the legends of the sport. This is all available at wrcplus.com, the digital online home of the World Rally Championship.